Hello and welcome to Say Hi to the Future, a podcast aimed at highlighting the human side of human ingenuity, clever, inventive, and original thinking. My name is Ken Tenser, curator of Say Hi to the Future and CEO of Spiderworks, a leading business consultancy for mid-market organizations and entrepreneurs globally. With me today is Sharice Thomas. She is currently the VP Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Access at the Columbus Chamber of Commerce, where she's focused on equipping chamber members to take their DEIA practices to the next level. Prior to joining the chamber, she was with NYSource, one of the largest fully regulated utility companies in the United States. Cherie served as a director of change management, leading the design and execution of innovative stakeholder engagement strategies with a keen focus on data analytics. She also led the professional development committee for LEAD, the company's African-American employee resource group. Like this video if you enjoy our show and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment with who we should interview next. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Sharice, and welcome to Say Hi to the Future. Hello. Thanks for having me. So it's a great pleasure. And, you know, I, I've looked over some of your accomplishments, and you really like to tackle the big issues, the big parts in, 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 in your career. I mean, I look even back to, to nationwide and, and, you know, organizational effectiveness across 30,000 employees. What, what attracts you to those types of roles where, where change and effectiveness and, and, and making a, a difference is so critical? Well, thanks for asking that question. The first thing I would say that interests me in those types of roles um, is what seems to be impossible you can actually make possible. And I believe that when you've worked out in the field with some of the jobs that I've done, that you see changes, no matter what type they are, whether they're about diversity, whether they're about a system, whether they're about a process, you see changes brought out to folks who are actually doing the job. And I've been that person before. And I always jumped in and said, hey, we can make this change work if we do these things. You know, you have to involve people. You have to get their opinion about it. You have to show them how you're going to break down their barriers. And I did not realize that that was a thing. That's just how I think. I didn't realize mm -hmm. there was a profession that would bring those things to light and actually give me words to put to it and a process and all of that. So just being interested in making sure changes actually happen and that they don't, you know, end up being the five minutes of glory and we never see the benefit. That's what brings me to the complicated roles. Well, I, I, I love what you just said. And I mean, we talk about savage curiosity. It's one of the values of the show. It's one of it's one of my values, <laughs> which probably makes makes sense. Um, when you talk though about you know making those changes and and making them them you know sticky if you will crunchy, how how did you? I mean, before you knew it was a profession, how did you really get through to people? What were some of those breakthrough questions or, or moments where you realized that 
wow, I've got to break down these barriers. And, and here are two or three examples of, of how I can do it. So I think relationships are key. And I'm a firm believer that you build relationships before you need them. And not because you want something out of them, because it's the right thing to do. We all want human connection. So when you build relationships with people and you understand some of the challenges they're experiencing, you're understanding what makes them successful. And then you translate that all into a job setting. And when something comes up and you're the person that brings it to the table or people know that you're um, kind of behind the scenes coaching and giving advice, they trust it more. So that's that that stands out to me and that's really important. And that has been my experience. And a quick example before I even went into org effectiveness, I used to work in Medicare. This was years ago. And one of the things that we were doing, they, they continually rolled out policy changes. And we had, this was a long time ago, we had this binder. And every time a policy change was rolled out, the binder would get updated. We'd have to update our binder. And we had training and we had conversations about it. And all of those things. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is normal. I thought it was normal. But remember, this was my first job. And so I start going out to other places. And the change wasn't as intentional. And there was there would be change changes announced. And then I would hear, well, why aren't people doing what we asked them to do? And I'm like, ah, let me tell you why. And so being able to have those conversations with leaders and bring them along, it actually led me to get introduced to um, Steve Bond. At the time, he was the VP of Organization Effectiveness at Nationwide. And he helped me understand, hey, this is a thing. There's something called organization effectiveness. Change management, leader effectiveness, team effectiveness, diversity and inclusion, it can all be rolled up into this profession. And I think you should learn more about it. And he um, mentored me, connected me with different people, um, helped me get certified in different things. And that was all she wrote. Then I just took off from there. No, oh, that's great. And, you know, you, you said something off the top about building relationships before the change is needed. And um, one of the things that I'm actually studying, I'm doing my doctorate just for fun in my mid fifties, <laughs> um, <laughs> just for fun. Um, and, and what I'm hearing is something that I've seen lacking is we hear so much about how change fails or transitions fail. And, and I think I've, I, I sort of this came to the same place that uh, we forget the human factor. We think of it as just a goal, as just a place to go and, and just a process to follow, but we don't think about the lives that we're impacting. Yes, and that's the thing. And people know that. People know that a process or a system or, or what have you, a, maybe even a behavioral change, when people haven't thought about it or they're not doing it from the vantage point of the end user, people know that. And that's where the walls of resistance build up and people don't want to make the change. And I'll give you an example there um, in the diversity, equity, inclusion and access world, there's a conversation about um, where does the 
white male who's 35 and I, I forgot the age group, but where, where does this particular group of white males fit in? And it dawned on me, oh, we're talking to them about how to change lives for other folks, but we're not talking to them about the benefit for them or where they fit in. So that's why we're hearing these questions. That's why we're seeing the pushback and the resistance. And I'm not talking about people who just don't want the change. I'm talking about people who may not understand why they should be a part of the change. And I know in the work that I've been doing, I've been having those conversations because you have to not be afraid of people disagreeing or not seeing things your way and just talk about it. And I've been having those conversations and I've converted a few people. So how do we do that on a bigger scale? I'll admit I'm still figuring that out, but I can't wait to see more of it change. No, that's great. And, and again, it's a human factor. It's a conversations. And, and, and it's funny because it, it's no different than, you know, when we go into an innovation session, I, I hate um, cold ideation. Um, I, I love to get to know the people prior. I love to make them feel at ease. And I think that that's really what you're talking about is how to, how do you make people comfortable with, well, I guess with being uncomfortable because change transformation, there's, there's certainly an uncomfortable element to it. I agree. And when you think about the basics, I mean, we can throw all the change models up out the window and go back to human psychology and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if those needs are not addressed, I don't care if you're trying to get more diversity in your workforce, if you're trying to have more inclusion in your workplace, um, getting more involved in the community with like nonprofits who are diverse or, you know, diversifying your customer and supplier base. Those are things that we want to change in my profession. However, you can't change them without building relationship and understanding all that goes behind it. Right. And so how do you follow that through the process? I mean, there's, you know, there's making that initial contact, building that uh, initial trust, but change can happen over weeks, months, years. H how do you keep people engaged in, in that relationship, if you will? So if you're in a work environment, it's pretty easy because it's natural. It's not natural to some people, and that's what makes it hard. What I mean by that is if we're helping our leaders understand the conversations that they should be having, and that's not just workplace leaders, it could be community leaders. So I, when I worked with a team who wanted to change their strategy, pretty big team, they were across the country. Um, I think they even had some employees in India, and they were thinking about, hey, instead of doing this, we want to do that, and here are the three ways we're going to get there. Great. Sounds good, right? But how do you bring that to life with employees? So first of all, you have to get the leaders engaged. And then once the leaders are engaged, then help them go through their own change curve. And, and that's really important. Help them go through their own change curve. And there are a number of ways to do that. And then help them understand what they're selling. You know, help them understand what they're selling help them go through their own change curve, and then give them tools and resources to infuse it into what they already do or should be doing. Meaning 
Most leaders have town halls, they have staff meetings, they have one-on-one -on -one meetings. They're walking the floor having random conversations. They're having conversations in the elevator, the stairway, at coffee shops. Those are interactions or touch points that leaders can use to bring up these things and understand how employees are feeling about it. Or if you're in public service, how are your constituents feeling about it? Those intimate conversations bring up a lot of information. And I believe that every person you talk to represents a group of other people who feel the same way, who just maybe aren't saying it. Right. And if you can address those strategies, I'm sorry, address those needs and get those folks on board, then they too can become evangelists for you. So it's one evangelist at a time that converts everyone and brings them along the way. Oh, I love that. The one evangelist at a time. I mean, really it is that it is that buy-in and it is building it. So now you, you've, you've really stepped into um, a big topic or, or a big discussion with your new role. I mean, you've gone from nationwide, which we all know, and insurance and nice source, one of the largest utilities in the U.S. But now, you know, as you join the Columbus or you join the Columbus Chamber of Commerce, VP, diversity, equity, inclusion and access. I mean, those are some of the most topical, but also the most controversial areas of, of change. And, and I understand it. I mean, uh, as an owner, as an entrepreneur, you know, we, we think about our products and our processes and our services, but now you're really getting to the, the human side of, of how so many businesses work and teaching or maybe reteaching people a little bit about humanity. <laughs> How did you think or, or, you know, what drove you to step up into, into this role? So when I think about change, you have to have change agents and they work at a local level. So I thought about, hey, I'm here at a corporation and this corporation is great. It's one of the best places I've ever worked. And it's across the country, just very similar to Nationwide, a little smaller, but it was similar. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I said, wow, why is it so hard to enact change in larger corporations? And it's because you have to get all of the local areas on board. So one thing I loved about the Chamber of Commerce is that it was local. I live in Groveport, which is a suburb of Columbus, but I'm in Columbus every day. And a lot of my family members live there and I'm, I lived there for years. So this is local and it's realistic and it and it's something that I can touch. It's tangible. I can feel, I can walk through the city. I can talk to people. I can talk to business owners, learn about what they're experiencing and address it at a local level. And if it works, which it will, because I'm driven like that, <laughs> it can become a model for other chambers. And other chambers may say, oh, you know what? I need this role hey, can you tell us how you funded that? Can you tell us, you know, help us get started? And if we can utilize chambers of commerce as a way to partner with local agencies, government, other businesses to make a change, then I want to be a part of that. So that's why I signed up for it. Okay. Uh, well, I, that's a great reason. Um, and, and I know it's early days, but I, I love that, you know, it starts again with, 
getting out there and walking and talking and building those relationships. What are some of the things that you're hearing? Because again, formalizing this role as, as they've done at the chamber, it's, it's newish. I'm not saying it should be, or that this is right, but realistically, this is newish. And to a lot of small and mid-sized companies, and I know Columbus is home to some huge Fortune 500s, but to a lot of the small and mid-sized ones, especially, and, and yes, even to the larger ones, you're having a new conversation. So how do you introduce or approach that? Good question. So day one, I walked into the door with a strategy. Um, I, I was blessed that the organization hired June Stork from Amplify Partners to um, do an audit. So she did a, a very comprehensive audit, one of the best I've ever seen. And she talked to the board, she talked to the staff, she talked to CEOs, she talked to um, member businesses and others and just the community about their impression of the Columbus Chamber of Commerce. And she was able to highlight the strengths and the opportunities. From her audit, I was able to say, hey, there's three things I'm gonna do. When I walk in the door, I wanna start establishing a, a center of excellence for diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. I want to make sure that these principles are infused into the chamber's business practices and the board. And I wanna make sure that we all work together to establish a supplier diversity accelerator hub. So I walked into the door with that, um, got the leadership and the chamber members, on, um, I'm sorry, the leadership and the staff on board. And then we started working with the board to get everyone on board. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And from there, when you have that type of support, I started socializing the strategy with a number of the members and they're jumping on board. And so what are some of the challenges I'm hearing? One, hey, I only have five employees. We, we, our workforce is already diverse. Or what can I do with you if I'm a diverse business owner? Do mm -hmm. I need diversity, equity, inclusion, and access? And my business. Um, I'm also hearing, hey, I got certified with the state as a diverse supplier, and I've yet to get a contract. How do you help me with that? And the main thing I'm hearing, I already stated it um, earlier in our conversation is, hey, I'm, I'm a white guy, I'm this age, how does this apply to me? So those are the things I'm hearing and those are the conversations I'm having. And I believe my goal is to get everyone I've had a conversation with on board and each one of those folks to share a testimony, a public testimony, whether that's in writing, whether that's at a public event, what have you. And I believe that storytelling and success is what's going to get us on board to get more and more people interested and infusing diversity, equity, inclusion, and access into their business practices. Right. And, you know, it, it's, it's funny, I mean, because people see it as more cause-related or, or causal, if you will, and, and, and human rights, and, and it's all of those things, obviously. But just from a, a fundamental business perspective, and again, I've been an entrepreneur and innovator for 27 out of my 35 years I've, I've in business, I've been in my own and having 
people in the room, individuals in the room from different backgrounds, ages, colors, religions, beliefs, whatever, you know, the full list is, those are all different perspectives. I mean, we're, we're inviting ourselves to not just become a, a wonderful organization to be a part of, but a really dynamic one in the marketplace. So is, is that, do people trigger to that yet or? Oh, yes. So we definitely have different personalities in the room. Um, one of the things I've learned as an organ organization effectiveness leader is start with what we have in common, connect there, bring out what we don't, celebrate those differences, and then determine what we want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So that's the key. When folks walk into a room with me, there's some sort of icebreaker we're doing. You know, um, with my most recent team, we did this icebreaker around what, where were you born in the family? So were you the oldest child? Were you the middle child? Were you an only child, the youngest, um, somewhere in between, <laughs> whatever that means. Because my theory was everyone that's an adult has been a child. We have that in common. Differences maybe where we fell in the family. And so we have conversations like that. And then of course, when we debrief those conversations, we connect the diversity, equity and inclusion pieces to that. And a light bulb goes off for a lot of people. So I, like I said, start with what you have in common because if you don't, people will always try to show how they're different. You know, I, I think you might have um, the greatest instincts of anybody I've spoken to in this, in this field, when you, you know, just, again, just who you are, and it comes out, you exude it in terms of getting to know people, as you just said, you know, for them to understand themselves, understand themselves, relative to, um, you know, members of the family, again, just understanding where they lie and, and the differences, I think that's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, it's so simple. And that's what I love about it. Um, we always look for these huge, complex ways of going about things, but having a conversation, understanding what we all know or have in common, what a great place to start. Yeah, you start there and then you turn it into business. Because if I, I, I always used to um, laugh at my grandfather. My grandfather really, was really social. And he would make his roundabout town. You know, he would go to the grocery store. He would go to Eaton Park. Um, he lived in Pennsylvania. It was his favorite place to go. He would go to all these different places and he would sit down and he would just talk to people. Um, some people knew him as a regular. Some people he didn't know. And he, he just talked to everyone. I mean, this man would spark up conversations in the grocery store by handing out coupons to people who we saw getting things. And if he had extra coupons for that thing, he'd say, hey, here's a coupon for you. And I, I used to get so upset because I would say, okay, I, I agreed to go to the store with you. I didn't agree to go to all these places and talk <laughs> to all of these people. But when I got older, I got it because he had a way of bringing people together. And I think he understood that because he was an entrepreneur before he retired. He owned the barbershop. He was the town barber. And 
the barbershop was right across the way from the railroad station, which back then that's how a lot of people traveled and right next door to the local bar. So he, now while he wasn't a drinker, he would go in the bar, get a Coke and some peanuts and just start talking to people. And in his case, it was more about converting them to Christianity, showing them the goodness of Jesus and all of that. But it did so much more than that. It showed people that someone cared. And so then when there were disputes in the community or problems and he showed up, he could bring people together. I didn't get that until I was older, but I'm like, I want to do that. I want to be able to bring people together. And the only way you can do that is through building relationships and walking people through a way out of the problem that they see ahead. What, what, what a wonderful role model as you tell the story. And, and I mean, I think like all of us, we don't quite understand <laughs> in the moment, especially as children, what we're learning, but it's, it's amazing that you've been able to, to remember that and, and bring that into everything that you do. So now that you've stepped from what I'll, I'll, you know, I'll call pure business to the chamber world where you really are, you know, you're at the center or the core of all business and 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 you're you're working with this incredible cause and this incredible need for all of us what's the end goal what's the vision um and and how do you how do you think you get there so i have two end goals or two visions one specifically for chamber membership and the other is for columbus as a whole um for the columbus chamber of commerce i would like to see diversity equity inclusion and access Um, seen as a business accelerator for our members. So not only is it the right thing to do, you can also accelerate your business by doing it. Because at the end of the day, a business owner, while they may have a humanitarian side, don't get me wrong, but the bottom line is what matters because they have to stay in business. And I get that. Um, So that's a goal for the Columbus Chamber of Commerce. And this year, and maybe a little bit of next year, we'll be building the foundation to bring programs and activities to life to make that happen. Now for Columbus as a whole, I see a lot of folks doing a lot of good work. And when you think about where we are as a city, we're among the fastest growing um, metropolitan areas in the country. And I would say we are the fastest growing in the Midwest. When you look at our population in Central Ohio, I would say that about 42% is non-white, okay? And each year that's creeping up. And especially with people, um, Jobs Ohio is doing a great job of bringing businesses to us. So we see this great migration of people moving from the East Coast and the West Coast, and they're coming inland, right? And they're moving to places like Columbus because great supply chain, great logistics. I can go on and on because I love it here. So when you think about the population, you think about where we're going, you think about the new folks we're attracting. um, And that's just, I've only mentioned the racial and ethnic minorities or the people who are migrating. There's also um, new Americans. There's also... Um, disabled folks. Um, There are people who have been incarcerated who are looking for a second chance. Um, And those recent graduates 
And before we would focus on college, but we should also focus on high school because we need to get more people in the trades. So my coworker, Kelly um, Fuller, is focused on those talent pipelines. I'm focused on the racial and minority talent pipelines. We come together and it's beautiful. And so what we would like to see is more of those practices in businesses across Columbus. We would like to see more of those businesses connecting with the nonprofit agencies who tend to service diverse communities and getting out there and supporting them financially. Um, we also want, of course, our, our positions are funded through the Chambers Foundation. So we want to be able to grow. We also ask our businesses to support us financially. Um, if you're supporting the groups financially who have time to make the city a better place, in addition to all of the great businesses that we're experiencing and that are being brought here, then I think you have a great recipe to influence legislation that will benefit members of diverse communities. You have a great recipe to just make this city not a melting pot. We don't want assimilation. We want a salad. <laughs> you know, everyone gets to keep their customs, their culture, who they are, and make sure they're finding a way to contribute to the larger society. I, I like that, the salad, um, because we, we really are mixed together. And, and I think, I, I think, you know, I, I have three kids and three stepkids are all in their twenties. And I see a generation that um, is growing up in, in a more diverse population. Um, as you said, I'm, I'm in Canada right now. So new Americans, new Canadians, um, take your pick <laughs> different ethnicities and religious or sexual, you know, directions. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping, and you had mentioned colleges and high schools, and I I'm really hoping that, um, we're working with a, a generation that that's already maybe a little bit more open or accepting or understanding of the notion of diversity and, and the fact it's not just color or race or religion, it goes across so many different areas. Is that something you're seeing or your colleague is seeing? Is that, is that a, a hope we all share? <laughs> so I'm actually seeing that. Um, I have a lot of high school and college graduates around me. So I'm actually seeing that. However, I did read an article that said that um, the generation looks to be more diverse because of social media and all of that, but they really aren't as accepting as we think they are. So mm. I want to get underneath that and understand more about it because what, but I also understand that I live in central Ohio, which is becoming a much more diverse and accepting place. But when you look around the world, I hear that the generation is not as accepting as we think they are. Mm. No, that, that's interesting. And, and it might be, well, you know, the difference between online and in person um, and, and getting back out and being together again and getting comfortable being in a crowd with anybody. Right now. It's, been, it's been a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. And you find out who we really are through adversity, yeah. right? You, right. You, you see things that you may see cracks in the foundation that you didn't see before when things were more stable. 
So we're here with Sharice Thomas, who's the uh, VP Diversity, Equity, Inclusion and Access, the Columbus Chamber of Commerce. Sharice, it's been an, an absolute pleasure. And I'll say that I am um, the chair of our board of trade. And, and, is, <laughs> and well, it's funny because I, I got connected to Ohio and Columbus through a, a few different routes. One, um, a dean at the College of Columbus Art and Design, who I've known for many years, who was in Savannah mm-hmm. prior, but also through Jobs Ohio and Brenda Morrow. There's a, a great relationship between, um, well, Ohio and, and, and Ontario, Toronto, where, where I am um, in terms of trade and, and, and uh, you know, building those relationships. So uh, I, I become more and more familiar with your area, with Columbus, with Ohio. And I'm just wondering though, you know, as, as we move to the end or sign off today, as a chair of a board of trade, what's the one thing I should be thinking about in this area of diversity and equity, inclusion and access? Good question. So of course, enabling the businesses, right? If you don't have someone like me, and that's fine, um, how are these principles of diversity, equity, inclusion, and access, how are they being infused into the work that the chamber is already doing? And that's the key, because you don't necessarily have to have a Sharice Thomas, but you do need those principles infused in. And I would suggest if you haven't already, tapping into your local resources who are experts in this space, you will find that in your chamber, there are some amazing people, and I'm sure you've already discovered that. And they have great things going on, and they're just sitting at the edge of their seat waiting to share it with someone and get others involved. So if you don't have a Sharice Thomas, that's okay. You do have someone like that in your membership. And how do you get all of those someones together to help make sure that these practices are infused into your chamber's practices and that they're encouraging their member businesses to do the same thing? Sharice, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for the insight and and for the the time we've spent together. Uh, As I said, I'll be back and forth at Columbus. I, I can't wait to see all the great progress and, and all the great transformation and changes that you bring to the chamber and, and our and our businesses there. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for the invitation.